Our God and Father, Lord, we honor you and we praise you. We bless you and we lift up your holy name. We are rejoicing today, Lord, as we consider the glories of the Incarnation, that you would come to the earth and become a man, live a perfect life, and give that perfect life and sacrifice for us, that you would bear our sins and your body on the tree. Lord, that you would redeem us from death and hell. That you would give us eternal life. And that, Lord, you would even come to live inside of our hearts by your Holy Spirit. So that now the dwelling of God is among men. We praise you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us which follows us all the days of our life. And the great hope that we have, Lord, of your soon coming kingdom in that place where righteousness will live forever. We shall be immortal, never to die again. We eagerly look forward to that day, Lord, and we thank you for all that you are to us and all that you are doing in us. We pray today as we look into your word that you would strengthen our faith, that you would encourage us in hope. Lord, that you would comfort us in our sufferings. And Father, that you would help us to be a people who walk in a manner worthy of you and of your kingdom. We look to you to be our strength and our sufficiency. We thank you for your holy word and for your Holy Spirit that lives in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> so we're back in our study of First Thessalonians. And we've been covering the text in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We ended looking at verse 12 last week. And if you will, there's somewhat of an overview of that section that really just deals with what Christian leadership is and how it was fleshed out in the life of the Thessalonian church. And there we, we have uh, many, many attributes of what Christian discipleship looks like when, for example, an apostle goes and establishes a church. And so there he speaks to us about how his ministry was carried out. And he speaks to us about his own personal example as a minister of the gospel. And there we just have a tremendous section of scripture that really talks to us about what the nature of discipleship is and what the nature of Christian leadership is. And so I kind of want that to be etched in your mind for the rest of your Christian life as you're reading and studying through the Bible. And you need an example, a ready example of what Christian leadership or Christian discipleship looks like. This is one of the key texts in the New Testament that that houses that. And, um, of course, all of our study notes and things are on posted on the website if you ever need to refer back to those. You'll just look for the audio sermon uh, group in 2 in Thessalonians, and uh, you'll find the handouts there. 
it's at this point about verse 13 that Paul begins a little bit of a transition to talk about the way that the Thessalonians received the word of God when it came to them. And then he, he holds that in contrast like Paul often does. He'll present things in contrast so that we can kind of see them more clearly. He holds the way they received the word of God in contrast to the, ways that, the way that the Jews have received the word of God throughout uh, the time that they have had it, uh, which is no short time, <laughs> some 1,500 years. Nevertheless, there's a real contrast between the ready reception of the word of God in the hearts of the Thessalonian believers and religious Judaism throughout the ages. And so Paul's going to draw that contrast, and he's really going to say some very, uh, some very pointed things about religious Judaism, things that are, if not understood in the right context, could certainly be considered anti-Semitism at the very minimum. Not to mention that you're cutting at the heart of Judaism in speaking about its religious pride and its religious um, fundamentals. And so Paul's going to make some, some pretty shocking statements about the people from which he came. But nevertheless, uh, I like to qualify the idea religious Judaism because not all Jews are in it just for the religion not all Jews are in it just for the Judaism, but God has always had a faithful remnant among his people whom he has called and chosen. Amen. Amen? And Paul makes that really clear, and we'll make that clear as we go through this. However, uh, I wonder if Paul's view of religious Judaism is what our view of religious Judaism is. And uh, I hope to expose a little bit of that, and hopefully we can take a look at that through the things that Paul has said, at least briefly. But with that, we, we would start then at verse 13. I'm just going to read verse 13 through 20. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the utmost. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Amen. 
Well, so with that, we're looking at verse 13 where Paul says, For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us. Paul now shifts his attention from his own ministry to the Thessalonians themselves and how they received it. So in verses 1 through 12, he was really talking about the way that he and his fellow apostles performed their ministry. And he talked about the characteristics of what their leadership looked like and what the process of making disciples in Thessalonica looked like. Well, here he kind of shifts and he begins to talk about how they received the ministry that they gave. And he says to them that they constantly thank God. For this reason, he says, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us... Notice here that Paul is constantly thanking God for how the Thessalonians received the word of God. This shows the nature of divine calling even further, for Paul certainly does not pat them on the back for such wisdom as they possessed of their own to believe, or for being such clever folks as to listen to God. Right? Paul here is talking about how they received the word of God, which they heard from Paul, not as the word of men, he said, but for what it really is, the word of God. And it's interesting that Paul doesn't say, now you Thessalonians are such noble folks. (laughs) He doesn't stop and say, you're so clever, you're so smart, because you know when we came through with the gospel, well you guys were all ears. He doesn't say that at all. What does he say? He says, we constantly thank God that when you received the word which you heard from us, you received it as the word of God. You see, this shows whose work it is to work in our hearts in such a way that we receive the word of God. Amen? We call it regeneration, do we not? God, by his spirit, comes to live inside of us. And puts inside of us his very nature. For if any man is in Christ, he is a a new creation. He's a new creation of God. Wherein the Spirit of God lives and dwells. He's been born again by the Spirit. And now he can see the kingdom of God. Now he can enter the kingdom of God. Amen? Because he's been cleansed. He's been washed. He's been purified. And now the word of God can come to live and dwell and and be alive inside the believer. Amen? And so, But that's all of God's work, is it not? And so when Paul talks about how they received the word of God, he's thanking God for his divine grace that God was willing to pour out on these Thessalonian believers. Amen? It's God's business to open the eyes of men. This is why, family, when you share the gospel with people, at times it seems like there's nothing you can do to cause them to to understand the magnitude of the things you're trying to tell them. (laughs) Amen? And at times you just throw your hands up in the air and say, can these people even be saved? (laughs) Right? And then you're reminded that with all things, with God all things are possible. Amen? That even the hardest heart can be converted. Even the hardest heart can be changed. Right? And so you pray for that person's salvation, right? Many of them are dear loved ones to you. But I want to ask you this question. What is it that you're praying for when you pray for somebody to be saved? 
that God would save them. And how's he going to accomplish that? Well, he's going to open up their heart to receive the gospel. How You like like the example of Lydia, right, in Acts chapter 16, where, where it says that the Lord opened up her heart to receive the things that she heard from Paul. Amen? You're praying for that efficacious grace of God to come in and reveal the, the desperate state that the sinner is in and to show to them that Christ is the provision to reconcile them to God and to save them from their sins. Amen? That's what we're praying for. We're praying for God to do this divine work of regeneration in their hearts. Amen? Because we realize we're powerless to do anything about it. Even though he uses us as the means to speak and preach the gospel and the word of God to them, and even that very word of God is the very thing that opens the eyes, it takes a work of the Spirit of God in regeneration in order for them to receive it as it is in truth, the word of God. Amen? And so this is what Paul is describing. He thanks God for powerfully working in them the conviction concerning his own word. Further, see here, the saving message of the gospel that Paul preached to them was the word of God. He refers to his ministry in sharing the gospel as the word of God. Amen? It's an interesting thing to consider that the gospel proclaims the events that took place concerning the incarnation of the Lord Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection from the dead. Amen? But consider how even Jesus himself has a title in Scripture, which is the Word of God. And that the word, he, is the, he is the Word of God embodied in the flesh. Amen? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Amen? So much so is this true that when we go out to preach the gospel and speak the, the message of salvation to people, we are saying to them the word of God. Literally, we are telling them what the word of God is and what the word of God has accomplished. It's a very mysterious kind of a concept that Jesus himself in the beginning was <laughs> the word, right? And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, right? All things came to being by him, amen? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, verse 14 of John chapter 1. And it is this word that we are proclaiming. And when we tell people about the gospel, we're talking about a divine plan of salvation that God planned from before the ages began, that he worked out in time and space through a series of events that he orchestrated by his providence. Amen? And so in that, we're telling them how they can become partakers of this great plan that God has to save mankind from his sins. Amen? But that message, family, has many titles in the Bible. Here it's called the Word of God. In other places it's called the Word of His Grace or the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ or many, many other titles, okay? But it is this saving proclamation of the saving act of the gospel that Christ has done, and that is the object of faith. The object of faith is Jesus, the Lamb of God, who is on the cross dying for the sins of the, of the believer. Amen? And it is that word of God that is dying on that cross that we are proclaiming in the gospel. 
And so it's interesting that Paul refers to it as the word of God. And of course, it's more than just the gospel, right? The word of God is all the teaching that Paul brought to them from the scriptures, is it not? And, and so there's kind of a narrow sense in which the word of God is Jesus himself, or it is the gospel itself, or it is even broader than that, the scriptures, the holy scriptures, in which is contained the message. Amen? For it is written. God has written it down for us and preserved it down through the ages. Amen? And so we hold in our hands even the word of God. But the message of the book itself, when you boil it down to its most essential element, is what? Christ. He is the center. He is the message of the whole Bible. Amen? So much so that he has the title in the Bible, the Word of God. Amen? And so Paul here is thanking God that they received it. But, if you will, because of that, we understand that the message is something that's supernatural. How important it is for us to understand the divine and supernatural origin of the Christian gospel. You know, it's not just some, some truths that we go around proclaiming that men just assent to with their, with their mental powers. We don't just go around saying, Jesus was a Jewish carpenter who died on a cross some time back in history. And if you will uh, believe that these things actually came to pass, you'll be saved. Well, that's not at all true. Even the demons believe that. Amen? But they're not saved, are they? Why? Because it's not combined with faith. Faith, which is trust in, reliance upon in what Christ has done. Amen? And only that can come by a divine working of the Holy Spirit of God that we call regeneration. By grace you have been saved through faith. Right? And this is not of ourselves. It is what? The gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. Amen? Listen, that grace and that faith that you have from God, it comes from God. It's a gift that God gives. Therefore, when somebody has faith to employ, it's a gift that God has given. It's a divine and supernatural gift that God gives. We're not just seeking to cause somebody to believe in the historical facts about Jesus. We're hoping and praying that God will work supernaturally in their heart and regenerate their souls. Amen? That's why he said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you know the whole Bible. Why, Nicodemus, you could probably quote the entire scripture to us. You're the teacher in all of Israel. But even you don't know, unless the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Amen? It's not about having head knowledge. It's about having the God-given gift of faith. And God is the only place you can get it. And that's how come the only way you can receive it is in repentance from sin. That's why the first word of the gospel is repent, right? You have to humbly come before God in recognition of your great need and in recognition of your great offense against him in order to receive from him the gift of salvation. Amen? And yet it's a free gift. We humbly come before him and receive what he has to give. Amen? Well, so, Jesus speaks about this in John 3, 3 through 5. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You understand? Being born again is, is a supernatural thing that happens by the power of God, by the power of his Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.14 speaks about the natural state of a man. Listen to what it says. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. What is it about a natural man? Well, he doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Because he cannot. It's not that he will not. It's that he cannot. He does not have an ability to ascend to that height. That is something that only God can do by his spirit. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 is speaking of when it says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Listen to verse 18. Now, if, now all these things are what? From God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, somebody being a new creature, well, who's the creator? God. Amen? And so we see the divine and supernatural origin of salvation itself. And this is what was happening with these Thessalonians. When Paul came through there preaching the word of God, they received it as it is, as it really is, the Word of God. Now, what was it? Were they more clever than the others? What, what, what was it about these who believed? Was, was there something in them that caused them to just snap and say, well, you know, we kind of like you, uh, you traveling missionary guys. You're really cute. <laughs> I mean, really, what was it? What was the difference between those that believed and those that didn't? Okay, Joe? God-given faith. Who does he give it to? Those he chooses. That's why Paul says in the very first, fourth verse of the first chapter, right? That I, I know God's choice of you. Why? Because when you heard the word of God, you received it as it is in truth. The word of God. We see the fruit in your life of regeneration. It tells us that you are the elect of God. Amen? And so, if you will... <clears throat> It's a very interesting thing to consider. <clears throat> Think about when you pray for somebody's salvation, what is it that you're really praying for? And does God have the power to convert that heart? Are you with me? And if he doesn't, in other words, if it's entirely up to that person to receive and believe in and of their own strength and capacity, what is it that you're praying for? Yeah, you're praying for God to work. You're, you're, you're making a recognition in your prayer. They can't come to faith without God's power. They can't come to faith without God's revelation. And, and you've witnessed this again and again. Have you spoken the gospel to them and their eyes are glazed over as if they can't hear or see? Amen? And so you go and you get on your knees and you say, God, please save them, God. <laughs> Amen? I know you've experienced that if you've been trying to evangelize others. You realize it's a difficult work. 
But when it happens, let me tell you, it's wholly God's grace. It's completely God's work. And so Paul thanks God. I'm constantly thanking God, he says, that when you people heard the, the message, you received it as it was, the word of God. Amen? This is what he says. You accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. I want to challenge you to think about this deeply. What was the difference between those who believed and those who did not? Just think about it. Of course, I've described the answer to you in the last 10 minutes here. But my point is, give some real thought to that. Give some real thought to that. Because I want you to come to the conclusion that it is God that saves people according to his own good will and pleasure. And this is the thing that we beseech him for when we pray for somebody to be saved. Amen? Yes, ma'am. And because of that, I mean, our main Okay, she, she said because of that, our, our main attitude toward believers should be compassion and not antagonism. I'm sorry, toward unbelievers. So when you're trying to evangelize them, you're not trying to bust them over the head with a Bible. Amen? You understand what I mean by that? Like Carol is describing. We're not trying to be antagonistic. We're a messenger of grace and love, are we not? And at the same time, we're a messenger of warning. Out of love, we're saying, flee from the coming wrath. Do you realize what a desperate state you're in? Amen. But we're not seeking to antagonize. We're seeking to see them saved. And here's the other thing. We realize that only God can do that work. You know, if we, if we tell them till we're blue in the face that Jesus is the Christ and that he can heal their broken life, that he can give them life and fulfillment, that they can be reconciled unto God, that they can have the hope of eternal life. We tell them all these glorious blessings that, that come with the gospel, right? And um, <clears throat> we tell them till, till we're blue in the face and they're just not getting it. Well, what are we going to do? Are we going to lose our patience? Are we going to become antagonistic? Not if we realize that God has to work and God has to move. It will help us to be very patient. Amen? And we continue to live our life before them. We continue to reach out to them with love and with kindness. And we continue to speak the word of God, which is the means of them coming to faith. Amen? This is Paul's point in, in Romans 10, right? When he says, how will they hear unless there's a preacher? How will there be a preacher unless someone is sent? Right? Well, when Paul talks about how these Thessalonians received it, the point here could not be more clear. The message of Christianity is a supernatural message, the word of God, from outside of the earthly dimension that comes from God himself and from eternity where God dwells. Think about this. This may be something you've thought a lot about, or maybe you've never thought about it. The term, the terms, the word of God. Consider what we are saying when we say the word of God. Now, where is God? everywhere okay he's in heaven above right if i flee to heaven there art thou if i flee to the depths of sheol thou art with me right i know where i can go to flee from god right he's everywhere he's massive he's over he transcends all earthly dimensions amen, amen. so do we see god no, no we don't see god why he's spirit. he's spirit and he is 
He's he's invisible. He's in heaven, right? He's not he's not uh, visible to our or to our flesh, to our natural uh, existence. Amen. We look around, we see the evidence of God everywhere, right? I mean, one only looks at the mountains to see the glory and the majesty of God. Amen. Or 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 of anything you look around at and see God's creation, it is of awe and wonder, is it not? But but think about this. When we talk about the word of God, we're saying this God who is in heaven has spoken. And he has spoken words that we now here in the flesh can read. So much so that God through that word has revealed who he is with special revelation. Now we're not just looking at the mountains and saying, wow, there's a big God out there. Or at the sea and saying, wow, God is broad and he is deep. Or looking out at the stars and the skies and the galaxies and saying, wow, God is infinitely powerful. We have all this evidence and that's natural revelation and that speaks certain things to us about God's character. But in the word of God, family, we have recorded words where God is speaking specifically to us. Amen. Weren't you shocked when you first became a Christian? You opened up the Bible, began to read the words and you thought, my Lord, this is speaking right to me. These words are jumping off the page and they are they are grabbing my heart with strong grip. Amen. You with me? It's the word of God. This word comes from God. This is a treasured thing that we have. You understand? This isn't just some uh, ramblings of some Hebrew sage who lived in a cave for a while. You with me? This is the word of the living God, the creator of the ends of the earth, who has spoken to us and given us very specific and special revelation about why we are here, what the purpose of it all is, why he has made us, and more importantly than that, who he is. Amen? Amen? And, and, and he's, he's expanded in great detail on what his purpose is in, in making the whole creation so much so he's even told us what the future holds. Amen? I mean, think about it. You're all prophets and wise men. Did you know that? I mean, if I was to say to you, what's going to come of the world? I, LaDonna, I know LaDonna, her and I talk rather frequently. She could go on for hours about what's going to come of the world. She can tell you in great specific detail things that are yet to come. You know what that makes her? Prophetess. <laughs> How does she know such things? Where did she get such wisdom? The special revelation. Are you with me? You understand? Listen, God speaks in space and time. He tells us what's yet to come. How glorious that is. Right? Well, so I, I, I'm, I want you to consider the thing that Paul is saying here. That when you receive the word of God, he's talking about a word that came from outside of time and space, that came from God himself to these Thessalonians. And you know what? When they heard it, you know what they said? That is a powerful word. That could not have come from this world we live in, right? They recognized it for what it was in truth, the word of God, amen? For what it really is, Paul says. Not, for, not as the word of men, not as the word of a bunch of traveling Hebrew missionaries, Right? But they were carrying a treasure with them. Amen? Amen. And so carry you a treasure with you. Same treasure. Amen? Well, 
It is not just some human wisdom made up by some self-righteous soul, but it is God's heavenly plan to deal with man's sin. It is a saving enterprise which issues forth from God himself and accomplishes exactly what God sent it forth for. This is how Isaiah describes it in chapter 55 and verse 11. He says, So shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Amen? You understand what that means? That means that God's word does exactly what God intended it to do and nothing less. Amen? Who controls that? God controls that by his mighty providence. And don't think for a minute that he's not involved in the affairs of this world. And don't think for a minute when somebody comes to believe and receive the word that that's not the supernatural divine power of God working in the heart of that person to which we are to, like Paul did, be constantly thanking God. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody come to Christ through your, your uh, evangelism or through your ministry efforts or been a partaker of a long line of Christians who've been preaching to people. When people come to Christ, it's a glorious thing, is it not? And, and when you see that happen, you realize what God has done. And you can't but thank God for that. Amen? <clears throat> Excuse me. Paul is here commending the Thessalonians for accepting it as such. He states, you accepted it not as the word of men. This indicates a fundamental issue about the Christian faith. That being, we understand the message of Christianity to be of divine and supernatural origin, and all true Christians accept it as such, the word of God. Now here's something to understand. You can't be a Christian and say that you don't believe the Bible is the Word of God. Because, family, if the Bible is not the Word of God, then what what are we putting our faith in? Are you with me? I mean, people will say, well, yeah, I believe in God, and, and uh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Um, but, you know, that Bible, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> Ever had this conversation? <laughs> There's a lot of stuff in there, <clears throat> you know, and, and I like the part about, you know, hey, there's a God who made everything, and I like the part that, you know, he's willing to forgive everybody and, you know, all the, the ideas that people have about God and, and so on. Those are just glorious. But there's all these little parts that they don't seem to like. And so you know how they resolve that in their mind, especially when they're bound in their sin with no power to overcome it. So now they, they go to rationalizing as to how it is they can carry these things out, even though God says in the Bible that those who do such things are worthy of death. So they go about reconciling that by saying, well, you know, the Bible came to us by the agency of men. You know, and any time you get men involved, you know, it's just a shambles. You know, so, so what's contained in there is, you know, this idea about God and the general ideas about who he is and what he's done and, and so on. But, but, you know, we can't be too specific, you know, because of all those things that are written there in that Bible. You with me? I don't know if you've had that conversation. I've had it many times with people. People are, are, are in utter terror over things that are written in the Bible. Because there are some terror, terrific things in there, are there not? Are you with me? 
And they, they begin to try to reconcile, well, how can all this be? And not only that, you know, there's been so much controversy down through the ages, you know. What is the thing, what does the thing really say? Can we really know what it says, you know? And how come, you know, the Baptists believe one way and the, you know, the Presbyterians believe that way? And what's all this arguing between the Catholics and the Protestants? And, you know, it's all so confusing, you know. I, I'm not sure I can really understand what the Bible says. Well, did you try reading it? it never ceases to amaze me how easy it is to dismiss it right without any effort whatsoever to endeavor to understand what it said especially when the claim is that in the bible god has spoken you would think if if we we knew the magnitude of what that was we would be ready to go read the thing more than once are you with me especially when we find out the things that are contained therein. Are you with me? Instead, many people go blindly through life, ignoring what's there, basing their faith off of ideas that they've heard from others about what the truth is, without actually examining the Word of God for themselves and allowing God Himself to speak to them as an individual. Remember, that's what it is, the Word of God. Just a, it's just an amazing thing. If they can discredit the message as somehow being less than divine, they are also free from the curses that are written therein for those who reject it. See here one definite mark that distinguishes a true Christian from a mere professor. They hold the Bible in such high esteem that they see it for what it really is, the Word of God. That's what Paul says here, for what it really is, the Word of God. Further, those who see it as it really is, the Word of God, are also persuaded then that it is to be fully obeyed. If it truly is a message from God, it ought to be heeded, lest God be found in contempt toward us for our belittling of His holy Word. Amen? Consider that God went to such lengths as to write these things down. And then to record them throughout the ages of history in the primary languages of mankind, even to this present day where men are and women are giving their lives day and night to translate this thing into every language that there is, right? That God is delivering this thing to mankind and the witness that we have of the things that have taken place. You understand, there's no Jesus outside of the Bible. You understand what I'm saying? Here's another thing about that idea. You know, people say, well, yeah, I believe in God. And yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But I'm not too sure about that Bible. Okay, well, hello? Where did you hear about Jesus? So you believe in a Jesus that the Bible told you about, but you don't think the Bible's reliable? You see what kind of circular reasoning that is? And let me tell you, that gets really, the more you think that through, that really is a, a really shabby, shabby position to be in. You with me? <clears throat> I, I believe there's a creator of the whole earth and, and that he's one and that he's a he. <laughs> but I'm not sure about that Bible, whether or not it's reliable. <clears throat> you follow me? So you have these religious beliefs. I mean, well, what do you believe about life? Well, I'm going to go to heaven. Oh, you believe in heaven. Well, where did you get an idea like that? <laughs> you with me? So a lot of people's belief system comes from things that are in the Bible, but they want to pick and choose and and build their own little God unto themselves. You with me? 
and, and family, that's why we, we, we seek to conform our belief system and our value system according to what the Word of God <laughs> says. And there's a lot of things in here that are not easy to hear. Amen? Amen. Nevertheless, that's what it really is, the Word of God. Are you with me? And if God has spoken to us, the things that he has said are to be heeded. Amen? Especially knowing the things that are written in this book. Eschatological things, things of life and death, things of eternity, things of, I mean, consider just for, for one moment the horrific thought of the wrath of God, where someone is shut out from the presence of God and in eternal torment, and, and that that being the final judgment of a God who from that point forward will never again allow one to be reconciled. Are you with me? If we know those kinds of things are in this book, we had better take heed. Would you agree? And God help us to be sure whether or not this thing's reliable or not. Test yourselves. Do you really believe it? Do you really believe it? Powerful question. He says here that this word also performs its work in you who believe. Now consider this. The word is working. The word is working. It performs its work in you who believe. As opposed to who? Those who don't believe. In which the word is not working. You see that? For without faith... It is impossible to please God. Amen? Amen? But when you have faith, I mean, when you open this word and you believe it's God's word, guess what? When God warns you about something, guess what? (laughs) Quit. Yeah, if you're in a hole, quit digging. (laughs) Amen? The word works in those who believe it's the word of God. Understand the concept? And this is what it does. It performs its work. You know what that is, right? Conforming us into the image of Christ. Changing us to become like Jesus. Putting that old man or that old woman of sin to death and allowing the new man of righteousness and peace and joy to come alive and to live. Amen? It's performing its work. Consider the work that the word performs in us. It is because God had so moved in their hearts as to give them a witness of the divine origin of the message that the powerful work of the Spirit had begun in their midst. God's word is of such wonder-working power that it performs its work in you who believe. This is to say that the word works in those who receive and accept it, giving proof that they believe what it says. Consider that the word performs its work. That is the work of the word in you who believe. Have you thought about that? What is that work? Furthermore, is, is, is that word doing its work in you? And how eager are you for that process to take place? Are you with me? I, I, I uh, am frequently involved in making disciples. And I have this thing which I call the three basic disciplines. I'm going to write these down for you. The three basic disciplines of discipleship are daily meditation, 
on the Word. And daily communion with God in prayer. And regular fellowship with godly Christians. You know the kind that are real Christians. Not, Not the mere professors. Are you with me? The kind you look at their life and you say, oh, those are the elect. <laughs> with me? How do you know that? Well, look at their life, man. They've been transformed. Are you with me? Well, these are these three basic disciplines. So I want to suggest to you that the word can do its work in you. It can conform you into the image of Jesus. It can begin to form his character in you. So instead of being angry and grumpy and mean and immoral and, and, and wicked and all those things that we are by nature, right? We can begin to become loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind. And we can begin to have self-control over our emotions and over the things and the choices and the decisions that we make in life. Right? We can begin to take on the character of Jesus I don't know about you, I tell you all the time, I want to be loving and gracious and kind. That's the thing I long for every day. In family, every day when I go to the Word, this is what I do. I open up the book and I say, God, I want to see Jesus. I, I, I want to become like you. I want you to accomplish your work in me. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Because I want to please you with my life. And I get, I get terrible conviction when I sin. For example, I, I come home from a rough day and I bark at my wife or my kids or, or, or I say something stupid and mean and, 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 you know, I go away from that and I'm thinking, what are you doing? And I just feel terrible, right? I mean, because how do, how's that happen? Well, my nose has been in the Bible and I hate sin and I hate what's wrong and I hate what's not good. And I hate what's not pleasing to God. And I I love what pleases God. And I'm striving for that with my whole life. Are you with me? But family, you can't do that apart from the Word. It's the Word that performs that work in you. That's why this is a basic discipline of Christian life, which you have to learn as a young Christian if you're going to live a fruitful Christian life. You know, most some people have been Christians for 20 years. Maybe that's you. And haven't even read their whole Bible. Well, guess what? I've got a remedy. Starting January 1, I'm going to read through the whole Bible along with the church. Okay? Because I haven't read through the whole Bible in a year and a half. And, and I need to. <laughs> I, need to I need to get back on my schedule of being disciplined in the Word longer than I have been every day. Are you with me? Why? So that word can perform its work in me. Because that's the whole goal of my life, to be sanctified and to glorify God. And to conform my thinking to his thinking. And to let my take my life and let it be, right? Lord, unto thee. Change me, God. Make me, mold me, fashion me in your image. I want to be like Jesus. Don't you? So do you want that word to perform its work in you? Well, it starts with getting your nose in the Bible. There's no substitute in Christian life for time spent in the Bible, period. There's no substitute because this work is a divine and supernatural work that God does through his word and only through his word. 
Okay? I'm not saying you shouldn't read other Christian books or things like that. I recommend them to you all the time. We need prophets and wise men to help us understand things. Okay? But my point is, that's no substitute for your daily time in the Word of God, where God is speaking to you through the Word, and that by the Spirit in prayer, He's taking that, and He's changing your heart and your mind. He's transforming you. The Word is performing its work. That is the work of the Word in you who believe. When the Word is combined with faith, it powerfully works. MacArthur comments about this. God's word always performs his purposes in the lives of all who believe, Isaiah 55:11. Scripture works on behalf of believers in a multitude of ways. It saves them. It sanctifies them. It matures them. It frees them. It perfects them. It counsels them. It builds them up. It ensures their spiritual success and it gives them hope. Those are all ways that the Bible itself says that the work performs in, in the believer. Consider how profound this thought really is, that God himself is powerfully working in those who believe his supernatural word, which came from his mouth. Here see the reason for the tenacity of Christian believers holding to their profession of their faith, even at great peril, or a fiery testing. Consider. Consider how tenaciously a Christian will hold to their faith in God. So much so you tie them to a stake and you build a fire to cook them. And they will not denounce the name of God. Because even that fire can't take from them the hope and the joy that they have in Christ. Amen. In fact, you send them to the very thing they long for. Amen? Amen? Family, we have nothing to fear. In fact, Jesus commanded us. He said, do not fear those who kill the body, but fear him who has the power to kill both body and soul in hell. Amen? He is to be your fear, Jesus said. He is to be your dread. Christians are so persuaded that God has spoken and that their hearts have been so powerfully changed that they won't let go of their faith even if it means certain death. They realize that they ought to obey God rather than men, for he holds their eternal soul in his hand. And here in this context, Paul goes on to discuss how they endured sufferings from their countrymen. (coughs) Yet because of God's word had so powerfully worked in them, they would not be discouraged or distracted from not only believing, but also sounding forth the message in every place. Think about how this applied to these Thessalonians. You know, Paul comes through there, as we've said so many times, and four short weeks, he's established this little church. Here's these brand new baby Christians. And in the midst of much affliction and severe persecution from the surrounding people, after the apostles had left, they they don't have a pastor, they don't have a shepherd here anymore. You understand? They're left, these baby Christians are left. You know what they went out and did? They went out and evangelized their entire province. Now you tell me what happened to those people. They received the word of God for what it was. And you know what? They said, this is the word of God. We better do what it says. They believe what those apostles said. How do we know that? Look what they went out and did in three short months. 
they had evangelized the entire province of Macedonia and the entire province of Achaia. It's amazing. It's supernatural. Amen? That's the kind of work that the Word does in those who are taking heed to it, those who are diligently pursuing it. It's performing its work in them that believe. Well, our time has ebbed away. So, I want you to consider these verses as we come into next week. Many of you may not have thought about religious Judaism in this way, but I want you to consider how these verses 14 through 16 speak about it and consider what Paul is actually saying there. I'd like for you to read through those verses and consider what Paul is saying in light of things in the Bible also that we know about the whole situation, okay? And we'll try to get some more insight on that next time we meet. Now, by the way, there is no Sunday school class next week on the 27th, okay? It's it's canceled. We meet the following week right after that, okay? Let's pray. God, our Father, we are so grateful, Lord, that we have your word. I pray, God, for everyone in the sound of the hearing of my voice. God, they would understand the treasure that they hold in their hands. Oh, Lord, that they would understand what this means, the word of God. That, Lord, they hold in their hands the words that came forth from the mouth of the Almighty God in heaven the Lord of time and history. God, that we would understand the nature of the things that are written in your word. How serious the matters are. How comprehensive you have uh, spoken to us in such great detail. God, the joy, the peace, the righteousness that is in there revealed even our Lord Jesus. Lord, that we can be saved from our sins, given eternal life, and live forever. God, I pray that we would understand how profound your word is. And God, may we blow off the dust from the Bible. And may we long for your word, God. May we long for the pure milk of the word that we might grow by it. I pray, Lord, that you call us nearer and nearer to yourself through your word. God, that your spirit will perform its work in us, causing us to be fashioned after Jesus, the living word. We thank you for the privilege that we have to know you, to have a Bible to know the gospel, to be saved. God, we rejoice in all that you've done for us. We honor you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.